Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Higgins, and I'm joined as always by our co-host, Aaron Salvato. Aaron, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. I think it's funny that uh, you referred to us both as the co-hosts because we're just the hosts, but we co-host. It's a thing we're we're co-doing, right? So I didn't I didn't want to be. It sounds like arrogant we... and say like I am the host, but it sounds like you're saying that we are both co-hosting for a main host. Are you saying that Jesus is the main host of this show? I wasn't, but let's pretend I was that spiritual from the beginning. Mm, Amen. So we are your co-hosts serving under the main host, the Lord of hosts. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is getting bad. We are talking today about a topic that's been uh, pretty widely discussed in different Christian social circles and uh, specifically in a lot of Christian internet circles, which seems to be a main place where Christian culture kind of trickles into churches, which I don't know if that's a good thing, but then again, we're joining it with this podcast. So yeah, there we go. It's everybody's favorite word, apostasy. Yeah. I I just love that word so much. Mm -hmm. Really nice to just sprinkle into casual conversation. Um, And specifically (laughs) today, we're jumping into... Wait, can we do that really quick? Can we sprinkle the word apostasy into casual conversation? So I was hanging out with my neighbor and all of a sudden he was like, I think our grandmother's gone apostate. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking about joining a gym. And he was like, really? Which one? That was we just moved on. That was so casual. Wow. Wasn't it? Yeah. Those are conversations I have with my neighbor. So uh, so what does apostasy mean? Uh, apostasy is a fancy biblical term for the idea of leaving the Christian faith. I mean, I guess it could be leaving any faith, yeah. Um, but we specifically use it in Christianity to refer to people who at one time um, very strongly and, and in these cases very prominently believed the faith, very publicly proclaimed Christ, and through different life circumstances and through different thoughts entering into the equation for them, they have now, I guess, turned their back on the faith or have simply decided that they don't believe the things about God that they used to publicly believe. Right, right. Yeah, and the whole point of why we decided to jump on this story is something we've been wanting to do at Good Lion is journalism, and we've been wanting to cover stories, and this is kind of right now in Christianity the big story, at least for, you know, as long as big stories last, usually a few weeks. So we wanted to cover this because people are talking about it, and And we wanted to weigh in with some perspective because we feel like this is something that probably has a lot of people confused and concerned. And yeah, we just wanted to jump in. And in classic blog style, to some degree, we want to cover the coverage and talk about the way that this kind of story is being talked about. Um, So there's two particular um, people that are kind of in the middle of this story. Mm. So as people have been talking about the idea of apostasy and the reason why that strange word has become much more in vogue in the last couple weeks or couple months, I suppose, is for two people specifically. The first one is a guy named Joshua Harris. That is probably a name that if you grew up in church feels at least vaguely familiar. He's the author of the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Did you read it? I didn't read it. 
but my brother Me did neither. receive it as a Christmas gift one year. Wow. And the ideas from that book definitely permeated into my youth group. And I think permeated into a huh. lot of church culture. If you're, The youth group that you attended or the youth group that you pastored? Uh, specifically that I attended. Um, hmm. And as time went on, I think the ideas began to, to fade out. Um, but it did trickle. I mean, the youth group I attended was the youth group I led. Right. Same for me. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the culture did kind of continue on. And I get why this book became popular. If you're not familiar mm. with it, um, the title tells you a lot. I kiss dating goodbye. Essentially, mm. the book argues that dating is not a helpful thing and right. that instead of dating in which you say, oh, I'm kind of interested in this person. Let me figure out if I'm more interested. It argued for the idea of something called intentional courtship. Courting. Yeah. I remember courting. Yeah. There was a homeschool girl at my school who was really into courting. Exactly. And, and there were a lot of people that just kind of thought if we do away with the idea of dating and we have this more intentional version of it, maybe we'll wind up with youth that are living more in line with God's sexual ethic. Maybe we'll find a church culture that has a higher emphasis on purity. There were a lot of really good desires in that book. He wanted right. to see people do things that were helpful, and he wanted to see people avoid things that were hurtful. That's a really good thing for an author to right. try to do. His heart was in the right place. <laughs> yeah, his heart was definitely in the right place. What's interesting, though, is the story of him over the last two months really begins about two years ago when hmm. he was talking about this book I kissed dating goodbye and released a public statement basically saying, I have heard the feedback of many people who have read this book and who have become nervous because of it or have felt that they needed to live in this legalistic culture because of it. And basically he said, all of the things I put in the book, I still stand by the desires that were there when I wrote it. I still want to see people walk in purity. I still want to see people avoid unnecessary heartbreak and I still want to see people training themselves to only love one person but I think I went too far and if the ideas hmm. in my book hurt you I'm sorry hmm. wow. and the reason I, one I think that's kind of cool I think it's interesting yeah. to see someone say you know what I'm not perfect and I'm not just gonna blindly stand by my ideas right. as my thinking shifts I'm going to be comfortable talking about that shift. Yeah, well, there's a saying that I've heard before where basically it's the saying goes, it's impossible for a man to change his stance on something if his paycheck is attached to it. And um, it's talking about how oftentimes there are people who don't even really believe what they're selling or what they're preaching, but because they're dependent on their finances from that thing, they'll just pretend and hold on to it. So no, I mean, I think that's great, especially for a guy who made his career, you know, selling this book to come out and be honest about how he really feels. I think that's admirable. And I think that that kind of looking back and revisiting old stances kind of began the momentum that led to where Joshua Harris is now. Uh, within the last yeah, what's two going months, on with him now? So within the last two mm -hmm. months, Joshua Harris uh, released, I believe it was just on Instagram, uh, released a photo of him looking contemplative, contemplative, con contem. He's he looks deep in complicated. 
Okay, liter- literally, side note, mm-hmm. but at the uh, at the home group that I lead last night, we literally had like a five minute debate about how to pronounce that word. So what was contemplate? What was the answer for the past tense of it? There's a guy there named Micah who's like a walking encyclopedia. And he said that it was contemplative. All right. He said it's contemplative. Everyone else thought it was contemplative and they were really upset. But Micah's the encyclopedia guy. So shout out, Micah. I'm going with you. So Joshua Harris posts this picture where he looks very contemplative next to like a lake. And was he like holding his chin? No, like he's just kind of looking like, out towards the water. Looking out, okay. And he just looks like he's got a lot on his mind, but he's going somewhere. That's kind of the, the image that he portrays. And the longer caption underneath it basically talks about how he has been shifting in his thinking about faith. Um hmm. Specifically, he uses a couple interesting terms. He says the common term for what he was doing was deconstructing his faith. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. That was the phrase that he used first. But then, interestingly, he used the fact that the biblical phrase for this was falling away. Mm. So he didn't really... Yeah, he actually used that himself. Yeah, he's the one that threw that phrase out for what was happening. Um, A lot Mm. of people, what they'll do is, when they talk about deconstructing something, um, not to condescend and to say that people don't understand that phrasing, but just to put us all on the same page, um, deconstructing is really analyzing things to try to break through traditional barriers that have been set up. Um, And the idea is the creation of new paradigms. So a lot Mm. of people would say that Um, the conversations that are happening in society about um, the LGBT community, specifically um, the T part of that and and the way Mm. that gender is now being viewed as much more fluid than it had been in years past, all of that kind of is the result of deconstructing. It's looking at here's this construct that we have in our society. Are we sure it's right? Right. And deconstruction is something that's happening a ton right now in Christianity. Like you can find no, no, what's the word I'm trying to use? Contemplative. Um, (laughs) There's just a lot of podcasts and books and blog articles that are people who grew up in Christianity and who are deconstructing it. And I would even say to some extent that um, what we did in the Righteousness miniseries was some deconstruction. But it's honestly my firm belief that uh, I think that the problem that we're seeing is there's a lot of deconstruction going on without the desire to reconstruct. I think if you're going to do deconstruction in Christianity, it should always be for the purpose of, okay, there's something that I've built up in my life and my patterns of thinking. And I want to deconstruct that. I want to take it apart and look at the pieces, but then I want to build back something stronger. And I think when you have deconstruction without reconstruction, it just leaves to people falling apart. And and it seems like that's really all that Josh Harris addressed in this particular Instagram post. One of the very interesting sentences in it to me was he said, by all the measurements I have of what makes a Christian, I am not a Christian. Hmm. Which to me, that is such an interesting statement because it means that you have a list of things that you're looking at that determine saved and unsaved or Christian or non-Christian, but he never shares what those are. 
that well, I think that to me him, is the biggest bummer. I wish I could hear yeah. from him what are those measurements and why does he no right. longer align with them? Right. And I think to give him the benefit of the doubt, he's a guy who spent so much time in Christianity. And so he obviously has, like all of us, his own ideas and his own sort of litmus test for what it means to be a follower of Christ and a Christian. And he's admitting like, I don't match up with that anymore, which is tragic to me. Absolutely. And, and he even continues on. And, and there have been posts that have been made about uh, his wife, or I should say by his wife, um, where the, the two of them are, are splitting up. They're uh, deciding to end that marriage and co-parent um, separately. Each of them talk about the idea of continuing on a spiritual journey forward. Um, but like you're saying, hmm. The whole deconstruction without anything to reconstruct there at right. the very least there isn't clarity given about what it is they're yeah. looking to build next there's just a we're yeah. continuing on we're moving forward one of the things that stood out to me in his wife's post was she was talking about how church leaders were speaking with her about what should happen in her marriage. And I know having been a church leader, I would be in their shoes advising, look, I don't see a real reason to end this marriage. Like God is so clear on how much he wants marriage to be a lifelong commitment. I think you should really try to stay in this. I think you should really try to push forward. I can totally yeah. imagine them having those conversations. And to be totally fair to the Harris family, I have no idea how those leaders went about those conversations. Oh, yeah. So I don't it know. It could have been great. It could have been a train wreck. Exactly. It could have been anywhere in there. Um, but it left her with the thought of how can other people claim to know what's best for me when they're right. just other broken people? Like we're all equally broken. So why do they get to be the leaders who know and we have to view ourselves as the lowly fools who don't know? And I OK, so I want to touch on that for a second. Mm -hmm. I think that the frustration that she's feeling is one that a lot of people do feel um, a lot of people in our churches and a lot of people in Christianity where like, I'll just put it this way. I remember being a youth pastor and having some kids in the youth group who I would classify them, you know, as kids who would come to fun things and events and they'd come to summer camps, but they weren't really bought into discipleship. And so when me or a leader would come and say, hey, buddy, I love you, but you got to stop doing this. They their response would be kind of like, what the heck? Like, who are you? Like, stop telling me how to live my life. Um, and so I think it really comes down to like, yeah, if they're in a place right now where they don't follow Jesus, then it makes sense they would react that way because following Christ, what you're doing is you're not just following Jesus, but you're submitting yourself to the authority of Jesus. And one of the ways Jesus like lives out and expresses that authority is through the church. And um, it's a to me, it's a humble thing for a pastor to, to hold that position. Like we have to hold it not like, oh, we're the pastors. And so you have to do whatever we say. It's more just like, okay, I'm a pastor. I need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Spirit's telling me I need to challenge this person on on this and love. And if they don't listen, then I don't know. I mean, do you understand what I'm trying to get at? I totally get that. And, and I've been in that spot before. And yeah, I think one of the things that's important to state in this is I think healthy church leadership 
has a level of self-doubt and a level of I am guiding people towards what is helpful for them. It's not simply I am what is helpful. And so that's why I think it was important for us to try to give some grace to Josh Harris and his wife about the way that they're responding to their church leaders, because we don't know how that conversation went. And it is possible that they simply said to them, we are your leaders. We are the authority. You must listen to us. And Jesus specifically told his disciples, he said, the world is filled with people that take their authority and lord it over other people. But that's not how it's supposed to be with you. If you want to be the leader, be the servant. Yeah, so so we don't know how that conversation went. Maybe the and, and I don't want to cast judgment either way maybe on the harris's side they were subjected to harsh leadership but on the the church Mm. leader side i don't want to blame them for something that i don't know that they did wrong like we don't know how that conversation went all we know is the outcomes and the outcomes is the harris family has decided they are splitting up they have decided that they are not continuing to call themselves christians and that they are simply on a journey forward spiritually and that they cannot be told by some human source what is best for them. Right. And I mean, in my opinion, it's going to take a real moving of the Holy Spirit to get them back to a place of being willing to listen. Um, And it's just, man, I mean, think about the pressure, too, of being the guy who writes the book on marriage and writes the book on dating. Mm -hmm. And then you're for years having issues in your marriage. I mean, that probably had to be quite a strain to, to try to hold up that appearance of having it together in that area because you're the guy who writes the books. To me, it just is a reminder of how we're all broken and we all need accountability. We all need people backing us up. What we don't need is anybody putting pressure on us or us putting pressure on anyone else to live up to some false expectation. Um, I think like we were talking about in the last episode, the, the need for confession to be real with a community of people about your doubts and about your struggles and about the places that you've fallen is so huge. I'm glad you're bringing up up the idea of doubt because this is where I want to shift a little bit and and that's kind of the story that is what from as far as I can tell that is what has happened right what I'm seeing a lot more of and and I, I should say figuring out that that's what happened has been really hard to do just through searching things online because there's one article of here is what has happened and then there's thousands of articles on top of that saying, here's what I think about what happened. Here's my opinion on it. And the big thing that I've seen come up a ton is articles written that say Joshua Harris was never really a Christian. Oh, dude, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I was actually going to ask you your thought on this. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So shoot. Here's the here's where I begin with this idea. Um, I I guess I, I, I should make it clear from the beginning. I don't know if that's what's theologically most accurate. Hmm. Uh, I find it potentially possible. I'm not ready to die on this hill and I'm not mad at people who disagree with me, but I find it at least possible that there can be a real salvation experience that a person can then choose to walk away from. Right. Uh, We don't need to go super deep into that because what I really feel about this is seeing a bunch of articles, Joshua Harris was never really saved. All it says, like the the tone of it is, hey, that guy was never really one of us. That guy was never really part of the family. That guy was always an outsider. Like, Right. All it does is take someone 
who is drifting away from the faith. He used the term. He's falling away. Hmm. And it does nothing to try to catch him. It just pushes him further. Yeah. And to me, I feel like if I was a young person or really any person in a church and I was in my own life struggling with doubt and insecurity about Christianity and about my faith, if I had questions, if there were certain things where maybe I was raised one way to think, but now I was thinking differently, I would be afraid to voice those things. Mm -hmm. I'd be afraid to come to my youth pastor or my pastor because if the tone of people, and it's not just these articles, like these, these stories come out on Facebook and a lot of times I'm reading through the comments and there's Christians in the comments, usually in all caps, writing the same things like, oh, he just was in it for the money. He never cared. He wasn't one of us. I've seen that so many mm -hmm. times. And it's, uh, yeah, it's gnarly. And so I think that if that is our only focus, if that's what we're trying to constantly say in these situations, it's not really helping anybody. It's definitely not. And it's not the tone that Jesus took to these moments. You know, I think about no. um, in, in the church that I attend last Sunday, the teaching was about Jesus getting ready to go to the cross and specifically the way that Judas and Peter both denied mm. and betrayed Jesus. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting in both of those moments is Judas brings this essentially like this troop from an army to capture <laughs> Jesus. And when Peter yeah. and the other disciples are like, should we fight back? Like we have swords, we can fight them. There's one swing that gets taken. One ear gets cut off and Jesus's response is no more of that like yeah. no we are not here to fight Judas we right. are not he's not, here. he's not the enemy exactly mm. like we're not here to wage war on these people that might bring potential harm to us he doesn't yeah. do that and then even in his exchange with Peter, he tells Peter beforehand, hey, you're going to deny me. You're yeah. going to betray me. But in the right. same conversation, he says, but after you've returned, strengthen your brothers. Yeah. You know, after oh you've returned, there's a mission for you. And I wonder right. if, and I don't know, Josh Harris, I highly doubt he's listening. If if you've made it this far, Josh he's Harris. Not. Let's just say he's not. Yeah, he's not. Let's We can he's move on from not. that. But but I really hope that someone in his life loves him with enough hope to say, yeah. hey, but should you return, I know God will use even this. Yeah. Like to say, man, if you, if, if God gets a hold of you, if you come back, you're going to be used in an even more powerful way than you were before. And I think that's the hope of Christianity. It's constantly this hope for redemption and for for change. And um, I, I think um, I, I want to shift, if that's okay, to talk about Marty Sampson from Hillsong. Sure. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. So um, to follow up on this, so Marty Sampson, he is a prolific worship music writer. He was writing and co-writing songs for Hillsong. I actually didn't know any of his songs. I was looking at the list and uh, that's nothing against him. It's just he did most of his songwriting for Hillsong in the 90s and uh, I wasn't really listening to them back then. Um, the one song I do know that he wrote was, uh, you remember that song Came to My Rescue? Oh yeah, definitely. Like In My Life Be Lifted High, that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know so, that was him. Yep. So he on Instagram wrote that he was genuinely losing his faith. I'm going to read uh, some of the posts. So he says, this is uh, Marty Sampson, time for some real talk. 
I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now. I'm so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe. No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just the I believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. I've got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow me if you want. I've never been about living life for others. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to be like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, be generous, and do good to others. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall. The sun will come up tomorrow. What are your initial thoughts? thoughts on it. There's a lot there. Um, yeah, there's definitely a ton in there. Um, to me, the first thing that came to my mind while you were reading that, cause I don't know anything about this story. I'm learning it right now. Um, right. To me, it really reminds me of, uh, the podcast, this cultural moment when mm. Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer talk a lot about the, the new desire that people have today. Um, and it's all for the kingdom without a king. Yeah. That's what was ringing in my head. He wants the kingdom without the king. You know, he wants, mm. um, let's be loving, let's be forgiving. It's like, great. Where do those principles come from? Because right. science <laughs> does not give us any of those principles. Science yeah. gives us survive for yourself and, and crush whatever stands in your way. Survival of the fittest. Exactly. So that was the first thing I was thinking. You've had more time to digest this. Where where is your mind going with this? Well, I uh, I totally understand. So that reaction you just had is a lot of the reactions I've read, kind of in the think pieces about this. Uh, People have pointed out that he's denying Jesus in you know, denying Christianity, but then he's using Christian principles to kind of sign his message, which is interesting. Um, And that was kind of my initial reaction. But as I've read through it, um, man, like my heart is honestly just breaking for the guy. Like the first thing he says is, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. What bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy and I'm so at peace with the world, which implies that the thing causing him the most strife and 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 the thing causing him the most emotional and mental turmoil in his life is his faith. And with it, like all the doubts and all the insecurities that come with it, I just feel bad because I feel like any sense of peace that he's having right now is it's a false sense of peace because without Jesus at the center of your worldview, without the hope of the resurrection and the new life, there's not much hope out there and peace out there in the world. And there's no answer to the problem of evil. And so, yeah, I'm just like, I get, I feel like I get where he's coming from. And to him right now, it feels like he's lifting a weight by getting rid of this faith. But to me, I feel like what's going to happen in the long run is just a different kind of weight coming on his shoulders. Well, that was actually going to be my question to you. Do you think peace is the right word for what he's describing? To me, the right word is 
relief and specifically yeah. relief that I guess I'm answering the question for you, but I, I would want to hear no, your thoughts. Go for it. Um, go for it. I, it, it sounds more like he's relieved that he doesn't have to pretend anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that's what it sounds yeah. like he's experiencing. Do you, would, would you go along with that? Would you add to that or? Yeah, no, I think, that's very likely it. I mean, the pressure of being a worship leader in such a high profile movement as Hillsong and struggling with all these doubts and insecurities, that's got to be a relief. But then I'm sure that something that hasn't ha- something that hasn't added to that piece has been the response, because there's been a lot of negative response mm-hmm. and a lot of people saying, you heretic and you know apostasy and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I think another thing to point out is, you know, he says in his his soapbox, <clears throat> excuse me, he says in his soapbox moment, um, all these things where he's like, nobody talks about this. So I just think really briefly because we don't have much time, but let's talk about it. He says, how many preachers fall? Um, a lot of preachers fall. I don't have I, that I, number, but I know it's big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, um, in the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, Bob Coy was a big name and someone I looked up to a ton. The guy was hilarious and super gifted. And to watch him fall from grace was really hard for me. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm i not really a reformed guy, but I did enjoy Mark Driscoll a lot in my younger years. I just loved his passion and... Um, I didn't always agree with him on everything, but I just thought, you know, he was, man, what a great preacher. And I was uh, glad he was doing what he was doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so to to watch him fall from grace as well in the way that he did uh, was definitely hard. And so I understand why preachers falling would cause a Christian to think, maybe this is all not real or maybe everybody's just in it for the money or the recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's easy to think like, well, these guys are supposed to be the best at being Christians. Like that's, that's how I always thought about it. Like everybody else was an amateur Christian and these were the pro level (laughs) Christians. And like, Right. If they mess up, then what hope do I have? And and is totally. this something that really can change a person? But we never, I mean, I guess sometimes this same sort of reaction happens in, in a way that has way less impact on a person's life. But pro basketball players miss shots all the time. Like pro football yeah. players drop touchdown passes. Like right. we can see people, like great business leaders make boneheaded decisions that run their business into the ground. Like there's yeah. no field that we can look at and say, well, look, the people who were really great in this were flawless. Like everyone who reached this certain category of people within their field, the leaders always moved forward unanimously and perfectly and flawlessly. So to expect that of pastors just seems childish to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I I mean, I get it because I've felt that way as a younger Christian. I've expected perfection from my leaders and was dashed, you know, to find out that my heroes were actually human. But I think that's actually an important lesson that we need to teach. And I, I think to have a pastor in a church not prop themselves up as I am the ultimate and mm-hmm. everyone else, all the other pastors on staff, all the other leaders, you know, they're, they're all aspiring to be like me. Um, I think when they fall, it's going to be so devastating for people who drink the Kool-Aid. But to have 
people to have pastors actually say, I am not the standard. I am a failure. I mess up all the time. I'll just say really quick. I, I go to a church uh, frontline um, downtown Oklahoma City. We have a couple pastors on the preaching team. All of them are so transparent about their struggles. It's so refreshing. Like me, my wife, everyone in my community group, we're like, wow, I've never heard like a pastor openly say that they doubt this or struggle with this. And uh, it's never something where we in the seats are like, oh my gosh, we're leaving. It's like, whoa, they're human just like us. That makes me want to listen to what they have to say way more, you know? Yeah, there's definitely so much to that. And and there's such there's so much to gain by being real about, hey, I'm I'm just a person too, because like you're saying, we turn pastors into heroes and they just can never. And, and we're saying this as two people who were pastors. And, and I know that there were students where I would say we're st- we still are. Yeah, I, I would say that as well. Um, Not officially working at a church, but uh, we're, we're we're being pastoral right now through the podcast. You're welcome. But we're not heroes. Yeah. Um, no. And, and that's no. the thing. We've been in these Very spots where not. we've been looked up to as oh those need to be the guys that have it all together and yes. one of the things i know that does in my heart is there's a small part of me that says yeah i can live up to that like i should try mm. to be that and then there's this cycle of isolation and this cycle of pulling away from the means that god uses to build up and develop a person that when anyone pulls away from those means, pastors included, the only logical outcome is destruction. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to move through a few things that he said really quickly because I know that we're running out of time. But uh, he says the Bible's full of contradictions. No one talks about it. Let me talk about it for a second. Um, I grew up in uh, an environment where I was kind of taught, oh, you know, all these atheists and all these skeptics say there's contradictions in, or <clears throat> excuse me. All these atheists and all these skeptics say there's contradictions in the Bible. But if you really, you know, study, you'll find out that there's none. I think that to the average person who's not a biblical scholar looking at the Bible, sometimes it does seem like there are contradictions. And I think that we need to, as leaders, be willing to address that. Like, just as an example, we know, obviously... God is love. We know that God loves children. Jesus is saying, you know, gather the children to sit on my knee so I can talk to them. Love the little children. Um, Psalms 137 verse 9, there's this venting, angry Israelite psalmist who's angry about how the enemies of Israel have destroyed Jerusalem. And he writes in the Bible, this is a verse, happy is the one who seizes the enemies of the, or happy is the one who seizes the infants of their enemy and dashes them against the rocks. If you're somebody who just pulls up on that verse, that's going to be like a huge contradiction. And so again, context is key. Like the person writing that story was a psalmist. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's the heart of God. Sometimes the Psalms are like, the prayer diary of an angry, upset, venting person. And it doesn't mean that every verse in every psalm is like, this is God's plan for you. Go now and dash babies against the rocks. 
but not everyone's there. And so I think we as leaders need to not pretend that these are easy answers with easy or that these are easy questions with easy answers. We need to be willing to wrestle with people and be like, hey, yeah, I have struggled with that. I have doubted about that. Like, let me tell you where I'm at based on my study. But I think um, to just assert that the Bible doesn't have anything confusing or contradicting in it, I, I think that's a message you don't, I think a lot of people are going to struggle with that. I completely agree. And to me, it comes down to the bigger issue of what is a person's view about the Bible? Because I think as yeah. we move into, I don't think we're moving into it. I think we're thoroughly in a soundbite culture of yeah. you need to be able, and I see it in like writing books where they're like, you need to be able to get your point across in one sentence. And it's like, well, God chose to get right. his point across in 66 books. So <laughs> yeah. God yeah. chose to do it way slower and it's way more deliberate and there's a lot more that that compose the message of the Bible. And if we're looking at it thinking, I should be able to open my Bible to any place and find a neat, nicely packaged truth about God that lines up with my modern sensibilities. If we believe that about the Bible, then we're going to be disappointed by it again and again and again, because the Bible is not yeah. afraid to wade into deep waters. It's not afraid no. to look at the messed up views of people and give them a fair amount of voice. You know, I, I think about the book of Job right. um, and there's like 30 something chapters of Job arguing with his friends about why God <laughs> would let something so bad happen to him. And the crazy thing is I hear people like pull random verses from like Job 16 and they're like, oh, look, you see, like if if wrong, if we do wrong, we'll end up getting bad things happening in our life. And it's like, no, the Bible shows right. us that to say they're dumb. Like those <laughs> verses, like all of those chapters are there to be the unraveling of people. Like Job yeah. is unwinding for us through the whole book because that's a lot of what happens in grief. A yeah. lot of what happens is it, the yeah. longer you let a person talk, the more you realize how broken they deeply are by all that's going on. So we right. shouldn't necessarily open up to Job 19. I don't even know who's particularly talking in that chapter. But like we shouldn't just be able to open up to a random chapter in Job and be like, all right, I bet this verse will be great on a coffee mug. Like that's yeah. not what the Bible is supposed to be. That's not what the Bible's trying to be. And I think yeah. a lot of where we you're right, we should acknowledge apparent contradictions and we should say they're yeah. difficult and we should say that it's hard to wrap our minds around it. But we should also say that just because it appears difficult on the surface, it doesn't mean that the right response is to just give up on it. OK, so, yeah, on that, I want to jump into something completely related. It's another hard question, and it's one that he raises. He says, how can God be love and yet send four million people to hell because they don't believe? OK, I think he's saying nobody talks about this. I think that we should talk about it. And I think that this is something that for a lot of people, I actually have a few atheist friends that I dialogue with on a regular basis. And this is one of the main things they bring up is just, if God is love, how can people be sent by him to the most painful destruction possible? And I just think we don't have a ton of time. I want to do a whole series on this, to be honest, but just in a nutshell, I'll say this. 
perspective is important. The way that you view things is important. And I don't want to be like tricky, like Obi-Wan Kenobi saying to Luke, like, oh, it was true from a certain point of view. Like, I don't want to say that. Um, But I think that C.S. Lewis really hit the nail on the head when he wrote these words. The gates of hell are locked from the inside. What he was trying to say by that is God doesn't send anyone to hell. And I actually believe that. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He opened the door to hell and said, come out into light, come out of darkness into light. And so if someone stays, it's their own choice. It's them rejecting God and saying, I don't want anything to do. Another, we, we, we mentioned this on our Ask a Youth Pastor podcast that we did, but think of it as a sinking ship. And the captain left the sinking ship, built a better boat, and said, leave the sinking ship and come on this better boat with me. If somebody stays on the sinking ship and eventually finds themselves at the bottom of the ocean, it's not because the captain sent them there. I don't want to dive into topics that have already been handled way better than I can handle them. So I'll simply point you to the place where they've been handled flawlessly. Um, Evan Wickham leads a church called Park Hill, and uh, they have Mm. a a great podcast that's mostly their, their Sunday morning teachings. But they had a a speaker there named Joshua Ryan Butler, and he taught Mm. on hell. So good. And it was phenomenal. It was so, so good. Yeah, it was really good. I love that episode. And then they even they even posted a follow up conversation where where Evan Wickham was able to ask some further questions about like, hey, so your teaching got us really far down the road. What about these specific things? And so much of what he was talking about is exactly what you're sharing here, Aaron. And the idea was simply that I love the phrase that he uses that hell isn't this like deep under the earth torture chamber. It's simply a place that's locked that's outside the beautiful city God is making. And he's simply saying, if you're going to continue to rebel and hate me and try to destroy my work, I'm going to protect my work and I'm going to give you a place that's everything you want it to be. But what you really want it to be is separate from me. And if that's what you want, I'll make that for you. But I don't want you to be part of that. The Bible tells us that God's desire is that none would perish and none would be separated from him, but that all would come to know who he is. And so the the offer is open to everybody. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and check out Joshua Ryan Butler's book. He's not paying us to say this, but uh, the book- It's just really good. The book Skeletons in God's Closet is so good. And just so you know, like none of the stuff he's saying is like some new theology he created out of nowhere. He basically just took what a lot of different theologians and scholars have been saying over the years and packaged it into an updated view for the modern age. And I think it's really, really compelling. So um, we got to go in a minute, but I just want to say this really quick. I think the story of Josh Harris and Marty Sampson, to me... I find hope in the story of Thomas because Thomas was with Jesus, just like these guys. I think I think they were followers of Jesus. I think that their salvation was real and the stuff they did for Jesus in their books and on the stage and in their private lives, I think that stuff was real. Um, but Thomas goes through this massive moment of doubt because he hears you know, his Messiah, the one that he put everything in, 
all of his hopes, all of his dreams was crucified and killed. And that for him was devastating. And he loses his faith. Like he does not believe anymore that Jesus was who he said he was. And even at the point when other people are like, no, Thomas, seriously, Jesus is alive. He's real. And Thomas is like, no, I've got to see it for myself. Otherwise, I'm out. Um, To me, I find so much hope in the story of Thomas because the way that Jesus responds to a doubter is not like uh, the, the story says that he actually comes through the wall in the room. Like he just shows up and it's not like he bursts through the wall like the Kool-Aid man going, Thomas, oh, you, yeah. you doubter. I don't know what that was. Um, but he doesn't come in yelling at Thomas. How dare you? I was hanging on a cross for you. Look at my holes in my hands, Thomas. Look at them. Like, that's not what he does. Like, he's so gentle and he's so loving. Um, and he shows up and just he proves himself to Thomas. He's beyond a shadow of a doubt. He says to Thomas, I am real and I am here for you. And I believe that that can happen for guys like Marty and, and guys like Josh Harris. I think that God's big enough to break through their doubts and reach them right where they're at. I would completely agree with that. And I would warn against the thought pattern of, whoa, these kind of things feel like they haven't happened before. And now they're happening like this is this is not unnormal. Yeah, this was like days after the crucifixion. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> People have been doubting for thousands of years. And yeah. and so to me, these high profile examples of it, this gives us the opportunity to reexamine how we treat our churches, Joshua Harris. Mm. And it gives us a chance to examine how we treat our churches, Marty Sampson and the people who are not necessarily gone in the sense that these guys are, are claiming to be of I've I have fallen away or I have lost my faith and I'm OK with it. Um, it should change the way we look at people who are in that process. It should change the way that we look at people who are ready to bring up those doubts. I, I love um, Dominic Doan has done a lot of teaching uh, in the last year or so on the idea of doubt. And yeah. and he, he calls his book on this, When Faith Fails. Have you read and that yet? I haven't actually read it, but I've heard the message that he teaches yeah. from that book. I'm like five uh, chapters he, in. It's so good. He did a sermon series as well at his church, Westside, a Jesus church. Hmm. Um, and, and that teaching series was so, so good. And one of the things that he seems to say a lot about the concept of doubting is deep faith calls out to us from the other side of doubt. Wow. And I, I can't think of a more true thing to, to speak into these situations of just, I know in my own life, the, the depth of my faith has come through wrestling through my doubts. Hmm. And I, I don't know another path forward. Like I, I don't know anyone where their path to Jesus has deepened over time and has become seasoned and more beautiful and rich. And it's come completely void of doubt. I, I have never seen that example. Hmm. Everyone that I know who's following Jesus strongly and deeply has wrestled and questioned and pondered deep things about God and God has met them in the process. And yeah. so we need to make sure that just as members of the community of Christ, we need to make sure that we are a welcoming place for those doubts. Yeah. We are a listening ear. We are ready to help process. And we it, it, it can be scary when a good friend of yours comes to you and, and says, hey, I don't know if I believe anymore. And I have had good friends come to me and say that. Yeah, it's so and it hard. was easy to be scared in the moment, but I have watched those friends deepen in their faith 
because they spoke about it. Yeah. And even if you're the one listening to this and you you're interested in this because you feel like you are the Josh Harris or you are the Marty Sampson, hmm. I want to encourage you. There is no path forward through doubt except conversation hmm. and except bringing those things to the light so that God can use others in your community to bring uh, certainty where there's confusion and and a path forward where the, it feels like there's only obstacles. Yeah, please, if you're struggling with these same types of doubts about Christianity, maybe you've grown up in it your whole life and all of a sudden things are starting to not make sense, please find somebody you can trust, somebody that you can look up to, someone that you know isn't going to judge you, and open up to them about these things and, and just let them listen and let them pray for you. And they're not going to have all the answers, but just let them them into what's going on with you so that they can be there for you and just encourage you. And if you're somebody and someone comes to you with these doubts, please don't make them feel stupid. Like, please don't put them down or make them feel like a second rate Christian or say things to them like you shouldn't be asking these kind of questions. Just keep quiet. Please be encouraging because I think Jesus was willing to work through the doubts of Thomas. He was willing to work through the doubts of Peter with gentleness and love and just consistently calling them back to himself and back to their purpose. And I mean, just looking at Jesus, that's really the only way I think that's the only way biblically that we can see that we should handle that. <laughs> if you're the doubter, we'll be your friends. DM us at, at goodlion.io on Instagram. Yeah. And it is a very limited venue. We certainly know. Um, but it it's something and and we don't want to just say now you guys go do this we want to <laughs> be part of this however we're able to help so yeah reach out and we'll do our best to respond as meaningfully and compassionately as we can that's a great thing great idea honestly man i do now that i'm not serving at a church i do like 50 percent of my pastoral counseling through instagram dms so it's it's a good yeah. venue for it you know why not yeah. if you have any questions let us know anytime Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Good Line Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to review and rate this podcast. It really goes a long way in helping get the content out. Yeah, we read every review and a single tear rolls down our cheek, a tear of gratitude. We will write you a handwritten letter with a wax seal. Brian will write you a handwritten letter with a wax seal. Um, Aaron will respond to you on Instagram. If you follow us at, at goodlion.io, you'll see updates. You'll see updates on this podcast and where all of the other Good Lion podcasts are headed. Yeah, we have a website, www. No one uses www anymore, but just goodlion.io, same as our Instagram. We have lots of different shows from people all over the Good Lion Podcast Network. Lots of great stuff. Check it out. You can find all the other episodes of the Good Lion Podcast on our website. You'll also get access to all of the articles that we've written and other contributors have written. And you'll be able to check out our educational resources section of the website, looking to further your education as you try to follow after Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Good Line Podcast is produced by myself and Brian Higgins, and we are a part of CGN, the Calvary Global Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This is Aaron signing off. 
and this Brian. is Brian already signed off. <laughs> already signed off.